0: Mastitis care guidelines have changed for the better and this episode teaches you more than just the basic methods of how to manage it We also discuss how to prevent it, how to tell which type you have, what to do if it becomes recurrent And then most importantly what to do and what not to do and it might surprise you This episode hits home for me due to my own long unfortunate history with recurrent mastitis And I am over the moon to share with you what I've learned over the last several years so that no one has to feel as lost as I did Let's go
1: Welcome to Healthy as a Mother, the podcast for becoming and being a mother, with your co-hosts, Dr. Leah Borden
0: and Dr. Morgan McDermott, two naturopathic doctors who get it. Each week, we teach you how to be the healthiest mother you can be, from fertility and preconception to pregnancy and birth prep, through postpartum and throughout motherhood, empowering you with the natural health guidance and education you're not getting elsewhere so you can confidently navigate the broken system at large,
1: the real, the raw, the untalked about.
0: And remember... This information is not intended to
1: diagnose, treat, or manage any disease. Always consult with your doctor before making any changes. Okay, let's talk about mastitis, which a lot of people maybe don't know what that is. So Dr. Morgan, you know so much about this. Why don't you begin by telling us (laughs) what it is? So the outline for today, we'll be learning about what mastitis is, what causes it, how you prevent it. And if you do get it, how to support it from a natural perspective. So, to begin, tell us what mastitis is and why you know so much about this topic.
0: Yeah,
2: unfortunately. Okay. So, actually, something really exciting happened in June 2022, which was that the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine updated their mastitis protocol and guidelines. Mm. And now we always want to use these kinds of guidelines along with our own lived experiences, of course, too. But the thing that's unique about these guidelines is that they're, the advice that has been being given now is in a lot of ways, almost opposite of Mm. traditionally of what we thought about mastitis, but it's because of our understanding has evolved and changed and shifted. And as science and medicine advances, sometimes these kinds of things happen. And so it actually makes a lot of sense to me and I'm really excited about it. So basically mastitis is on a spectrum now of Mm. problems be from engorgement plugged or clogged ducts which they technically call in lactation world as ductal narrowing Mm. through to mastitis and then there's these um, inflammatory conditions called phlegmon or galactoseals or abscesses star trek abscesses (laughs) galactic uh, <laughs> phlegmon what are we saying
1: it's like a nordic alien series
2: <laughs> it is and in your breasts it almost is okay so what mastitis typically is though is either from a bacterial or inflammatory cause and it's in an, an acute inflammation of the breast with pain and systemic like whole body wide symptoms of fever and body aches, pain, headaches, extreme pain at the breast, and it's in the lactating breast. So there is um, a couple of other forms of mastitis in like postmenopausal women or men and babies can actually have some kind of a mastitis, but this sort of lactational mastitis is what we're specifically talking about today. And one of the things that's like really important to know is that there are there is this delineation between the two kinds of mastitis, bacterial or inflammatory. Mm -hmm. And I'll get to that in just a second. But so let's talk about, well, what sort of symptoms would somebody be having Mm -hmm. if they thought that they had mastitis? So if you, in the kind of typical sense, it would be a red spot Mm -hmm. on your breast that is tender and potentially hard underneath the other whole body symptoms of Fever. And it would be a fever somewhere between like a hundred to 103, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Pain at l- latching the baby or pain at the letdown. So when the milk is coming down, you would maybe notice an increase in pain. Doesn't have to be that way, but that's kind of a classic thing. So more
1: in the breast, not in the nipple.
2: Yes. It's in the breast. It's usually the breast tissue. You could have it in the breast tissue right behind the nipple.
0: Gotcha.
2: Typically though, the most common place for mastitis is up in the upper right part of your breast, sort of near your armpit Mm. or on that edge, all leading down the side of your arm, because maybe the way that breast breast shape is that that kind of area can sit and maybe get more inflamed because milk will back up and we'll talk about the, the way that it develops later but mm. something like that or also we have breast tissue all the way up mid armpit it's mm-hmm. called the tail of Spence is this band of tissue that goes up into the armpit and so sometimes just because of the compression of our arm actually being down and moving and then there's Milk-making tissue and gland and ductal glands up there that that area can get really inflamed. Mm. So those are sort of like some of the typical signs and symptoms. Um, you may have a nipple discharge. You may even have like pus coming out. Mm or blood. And these can be really scary things. And of course, if you're ever concerned, you should go visit your doctor, but they Mm -hmm. are also consistent with mastitis in a lot of forms. So the problem with mastitis is that if we don't deal with it quickly, it can lead to something called an abscess, Mm -hmm. which is where there becomes a bacterial infection that walls itself off. The body will wall off kind of almost in an attempt to to save you Mm -hmm. from having a a full body bacterial infection, maybe going to your bloodstream, which is called sepsis. So the body will build this like connective tissue capsule around the area where the bacteria is. And then that whole area becomes, it's like a pimple inside your breast. It's like the whole area inside becomes filled with pus and white blood Mm -hmm. cells and things. And you have to have it drained. Mm -hmm. You're hospitalized. You're on IV antibiotics. It's a big deal. So we don't want to get to that point. Galactoceol is and phlegmon are much more rare, and I'm just not even really going to touch on them in this episode. Maybe if we have a lot of feedback that people want to know about it, we can talk about it. But so that's kind of like the more typical progression of like a traditional mastitis. So risk factors for mastitis would be being in that first three months postpartum. Okay. The reason for that is that when you are early postpartum, our breasts are trying to figure out how much milk to make. Mm. Your body doesn't know. Did I just give birth to one baby? two babies, three babies, or no babies in a tragic case, you know, or maybe the baby passes Mm -hmm. and our bodies have these beautifully designed feedback loops and systems to upregulate milk production in the event of a baby or multiples, and then to downregulate it in the event of no baby or, Mm -hmm. or the choice not to breastfeed for some reason. So in that process though, making too much milk, having an oversupply, or at least for that period of time, while our breasts are deciding how much to make. Often the milk comes in really hot and heavy in that engorgement period that, you know, from day three to five, somewhere in there, when our milk comes in for the first time, when it comes in, it comes in a lot. And then it kind of is, your breast is swollen. It's the first time it's been making milk in, you know, maybe a long time Mm -hmm. or ever. And there's a lot of changes physiologically that are going on and our breasts are glands. They're not just skin and muscle, the way like we think about our shoulder, Mm -hmm. it is actually a gland, the way that our thyroid is a gland. And they, because breasts can change, you know, when you're in a non-pregnant, non-lactating state to then being in one there, you know, that, that tissue is made more or it's made less the glandular tissue. And so there's a lot of things going on. And this is, this is some of the information that is informing our choices about the way we manage mastitis later on, which is really exciting and cool, I think about. But mm-hmm. so in that early period, the baby's learning how to latch, your boobs are trying to figure out how much to make, and there's just more chance for things to go wrong, potentially where the baby's latch has made some cracks or holes in your nipple and bacterial introduction mm-hmm. is easier to get in or potentially you're making too much milk still. And that's the biggest risk factor of all is that you're making too much milk for mastitis. And because the reason for that is just because if the milk is kind of continuing to back up, this would be more consistent with like an inflammatory mastitis pattern where it's like, there's these little grape-like clusters of alveoli that are making the milk. Mm -hmm. And if they're getting, if they're making milk and it's not getting taken out enough as well, maybe because the baby doesn't actually drink that much, or maybe you're just not pumping out as much as you're making because you don't really need it. There's this backup that can happen. And that milk can get into the, it's called the interstitial space. It's just between cells. It's not where it's meant to be. Mm -hmm. And your body sees it as like a foreign object. And it's like, "Ah!" and causes this big inflammatory (laughs) reaction. And it's the inflammation that causes the fever, the heat, the redness, the pain. So you can
1: have fever, redness, and pain without it being bacterial. Yes. That's interesting. Yes. I would always think of that. Typically
2: lower fever. So that's part Mm -hmm. of the things, that's part of the information that can help us figure out is this inflammatory versus mess? or uh, sorry, bacterial, Mm -hmm. is that inflammatory mastitis typically there wouldn't be the nipple damage and there would be a lower fever and it would be a little bit slower going. Sometimes those bacterial mastitis can be a bit quicker. They can be higher, hotter fevers, 100, 203.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then there's often like an obvious, more obvious nipple damage. Or it was an inflammatory mastitis to start that wasn't treated and becomes bacterial. Mm-hmm. So if you are having a back- an inflammatory mastitis, not treating it days and days and days are going on. And then now your fever is getting even higher. You can likely bet that it's bacterial and antibiotics would be appropriate. My whole gig is, and the reason why I wrote the book. So I wrote a a mastitis manual recently through my business, Milk Medicine, that you can do so many things to avoid unnecessary antibiotic prescription with this. Mm -hmm. And this is really important. This is important for all of the obvious reasons that we know about overprescription with antibiotics specifically with breastfeeding taking antibiotics for a mastitis when you didn't need to be doing it is extra frustrating in that you are now being put at risk for thrush which is a candida yeast overgrowth Mm -hmm. which can be incredibly painful very persistent hard to manage it can give you a vaginal yeast infection if you have a daughter it can give her a vaginal yeast infection you know there's Obviously, a time and a place. And if you have bacterial mastitis and it's not going away, it's getting worse, you need to take the antibiotics. There is definitely mm-hmm. a time and place you do not want to have ma- an abscess. If you get an abscess, you're on IV antibiotics with a drain sticking out of your breast. Totally life-saving procedure because you don't want to go septic, which is again when you have a bacterial infection in your bloodstream.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But there is a huge amount of overprescription of antibiotics because we simply have not been understanding the way that this process is going. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that with these new guidelines, things can be shifting and changing. So the other thing I wanted to say is because we're thinking about this on a spectrum now, engorgement is typically what happens in that first time period when your milk is first coming in for the first time. But it can also happen anytime you go too long without nursing. And it's just that idea of like super full hard breasts. Mm -hmm. And it's usually easily remedied by Getting the milk out, like yeah, feeding the baby,
1: having engorgement early on. Yes,
2: yeah, you did. <laughs> I remember that. I sure did. I remember my own engorgement. My engorgement gave me stretch marks on my breasts. Oh, wow! And yeah. it was because my son, with his lip and tongue tie, which we touch on that in an episode as well, we'll link in the show notes his mouth, he was not getting any of the milk out mm. and my milk was just coming in and he was stimulating. So it's like my a water rest. balloon
1: that keeps getting full. And yes. Keeps getting
2: full yes. And until it pops it, almost until it pops. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's popping. It's almost like you can think about it in that, in that it's the milk is leaking into mm. this space. It's not supposed to be, and it's causing an inflammatory reaction. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. So, and then clogged ducts too, just to touch a note on that is Typically, I feel like people think about that in their mind as that the breast is all of these ducts that are in a straight line that are going to the nipple and they're going out the nipple. And that if you're having a clogged duct, it's as if there's maybe like debris or a fat, fatty chunk of milk that's literally stuck in the tube. That's kind
1: of how I would think about it. Yeah,
2: I think the big, a lot of people think about it like that. Is mm-hmm. That's not what's happening. So we know now too through histological slides histology is looking at things tissues under the microscope mm-hmm. the ducks this is actually really cool this mm-hmm. is like one of the coolest thing I see te- I think about the new guidelines and it's just the new information <laughs> the things that keep <laughs> us up at night <laughs> I, know. I think about this all the time <laughs> milk ducks are more like a cobweb whoa they are innumerable they are overlapping they are multi-directional wow. they are everywhere in our breast. That's so cool. You cannot push out a clog from any one particular duct. Mm -hmm. And that's totally not the way that I used to think about it either. Right. So it's like this just mishmash and you know, there's these alveoli that are kind of at the top and then it's just coming down in this cascade and there's some of the ducts are bigger, some of the ducts are smaller and they're, they, you know, all do organize at least to make it their way out to the nipple, but it's a very like convoluted it's like multi-highways you know going over each other or whatever it is not just this like streamline oh we're just gonna press on this duct and make it come out and now women have had that experience and what they think is happening is not exactly what is happening they may be getting the chunk out Mm. so you'll love this you'll think this is so interesting so the ductal narrowing which is the technical term for what a clogged or plugged duct is when we're talking about in lay terms ductal narrowing is the idea that there is congestion and lymphatic, lymphatic congestion, milk congestion, narrowing of the ducts so that the milk is now backing up behind it and not coming out the same flow. And that there is biofilm buildup along with the cholesterol aspect, the fatty aspect of the milk, all making like a plaque, like an artery
1: wow so for anyone who that was like what are you talking about yeah. so when we talk about like heart disease a lot of you might think of like clogged ducts or clogged arteries because cholesterol builds up on the lining of the arterial wall and then like starts to block it like if you watch the blood flow like literally yeah like water trying to go through a hose but it's full of gunk on the inside yes and so she's saying in the breast tissue, it's doing the same thing where, yep. you know, lymphatics are basically how we move out debris and move things outside of our blood system, but they with the fat from the milk, plus potentially biofilms, which are things that you create around bacteria bacteria and things like that basically like shields if you can imagine them around like shields around them yeah that that is like creating a narrowing of the ducts like arterial narrowing that's
2: crazy it's crazy and so then there's all this congestion that's built up and so now the milk isn't being able to get out so the biofilm aspect of this guideline is like the first time that any of this has been introduced into breastfeeding medicine before which is that the microbiome of the breast is one of the main keys of mastitis. Oh,
1: and the microbiome
2: is just like sort of the type
1: of bacteria, which we have in microbiomes your body. in our mouth and our vaginas. Our, our whole gut. body everywhere, right? Oh, this is so cool. Isn't that
2: cool? So, yeah, for, I think it's what every one human cell we have, we have 10 bacterial mm-hmm, cells. Mm-hmm. So, we are a mishmash of human cells and bacteria. We know this. We know that how important our microbiome is. And that's why we want to eat a good, wide range of f- fibrous foods that can feed the good bacteria. We want to avoid the sugars that tend to feed the pathogenic the bad bacteria Mm -hmm. this is why we want to avoid antibiotics unless we really really need them because it messes up these populations and numbers and diversity Mm -hmm. of the species of microbiome or of um, bacteria that we have all over our whole entire bodies people typically talk about in your gut yeah but it's everywhere it's everywhere it's everywhere yeah Mm -hmm. and so what we're finding out and this is just so interesting for somebody like me as well because as a kid, I had, I had recurrent UTIs, recurrent ear infections, tubes in the ears. I've been on probably 70 rounds of antibiotics oh in my, my life, God. which is really bad. Oh, <laughs> and it was like what we just needed to, I was sort of just, I don't know, I came into this world with like a bit of a sickly constitution. And mm-hmm. I, I tended to get recurrent infections. Mm-hmm. And now I've been somebody who's been prone to mastitis and it's like, now knowing this, I'm like, oh Makes my gosh, yeah. what if it's all back to my, you know, microbiome? So if I do end up having another baby, I'm actually going to work with you oh, and cool. do a bunch of stool analysis. Yeah. So you can look at my poop and tell me yeah, all about it. I would
1: love that. <laughs> okay. Maybe cool. there'll be a microbiome test for a breast milk one day.
2: That would be amazing to yeah, see.
1: There is for nutrients. So. And
2: probably so. And we do actually know a couple of the strains that if you're going to take a specific probiotic for breast mm-hmm. health. Yep lactobacillus fermentum and lactobacillus salivarius are the ones, um, I talk about this in the ebook as well briefly, because we don't have that many probiotic products that are on the market yet. There is the Claire labs target B2. That's what it's called. Claire mm-hmm. labs is the company that makes it. The product specifically is called target B2, and it's a breastfeeding specific probiotic strain. Mm-hmm. It is LLC. Fermentum though, or maybe it's El Salvador's it's, it's the, whichever one is not actually like the very best, whatever they mm. need to make the one, the other opposite. And I'm not trying, maybe remembering it. other companies like needed, or, or maybe needed. needed can do it, <laughs> please. That would be great. Somebody needs to do it so that we can have some more products, um, or we can figure out, you know, what kinds of other foods are helping to support this and everything. But so that is the idea that this like clogged area, this clogged area, because women will report, they're like, no, there was a long stringy fatty thing mm-hmm. that came out of yeah, my so What is that but so that is the biofilm Mm. plus the fat from the milk interesting that has been kind of coagulating so a biofilm is when a group of bacteria kind of comes together sits in an area and then with this intracellular protein matrix (laughs) all these fancy words basically it's this like jello that they create around themselves and they kind of sit in this matrix this like space And then they kind of will put this almost capsule over it Mm -hmm. that hides it from the immune system. Bacteria are very tricky and Mm -hmm. very smart Mm -hmm. and biofilms are a really big deal. And they're actually involved in a lot of these chronic diseases that, Mm -hmm. You know we're learning more about this because we know now that the microbiome is everything yeah so this can be happening in your breast and it can be contributing to these issues mm-hmm. this can be transient it can be chronic Make transient mean quick it can be chronic like we don't really exactly know all of that but we know that there is a big piece to these issues that has to do with this buildup of kind of the microbi micro microbial gunk that being said now you know what it looks like if you have mastitis, some of your risk factors. So other risk factors could be things like having had a breast augmentation, whether it was a reduction or an implants does put you at higher mm-hmm. risk, having oversupply or making too much milk is the, one of the bigger risks. And then of course, being in that first three months postpartum because of your supply, trying to figure out what's mm-hmm. going on. So having a baby with a mouth morphology, like a lip and tongue tie, a high palate, et cetera, definitely puts you at risk and being an exclusive pumper, we're having an erratic pumping pattern, right? Like what about new moms
1: who maybe like their nipples hurt so they don't want the baby to feed. So they're kind of pumping or maybe over pumping because they're trying to build up a supply for when they go back to work. I see that sometimes in my patients. Totally. And nipple
2: shields as well. So So, yeah, this is, and honestly, like it, they didn't. The, there was this really wonderful presentation that was put on by this breast surgeon who is an IBCLC too, which I think is such a cool mix of. And an IBCLC is oh, a lactation, yeah, person. international board certified lactation consultant. So they're just a lactation consultant that is more higher trained to deal with breast pathology in the lactation space. She was pretty adamant in this presentation that pumping is a very huge cause to this problem I, I because yes, so there's a lot of things that can go wrong with the pump, right? Like people can have the wrong flange size, which is like the shape and the size. So maybe you're getting an inappropriate emptying of the breast, or maybe you're stimulating the nipple, but you're not really getting that much output. And so then you're still telling the breast to make more milk, Mm. but then you're not getting it out. And that can be problematic. You're now sort of also overriding the amount of milk that you need to be making for your baby, unless you're only going to pump and nobody really does this, right? Nobody only pumps three, like two or three ounces. If they can pump more, Mm -hmm. if you pump two or three ounces, that's what you get. And then you stop. But if you're one of those people who can pump like 10 ounces yeah, like
1: me, I would you like just do because you're like, I'm gonna freeze in like it. Yeah. Like what? Exactly. But I didn't it's, know that that would cause more problems. Well, but you're
2: you're doing really well though. And so yeah. sometimes this this is the thing. Sometimes but I have a baby
1: who could just chug Chugs and, if I and didn't, she's i huge. <laughs> yeah, she is huge. She she's chunky and chunky, chunky,
2: great. monkey girl.
1: But if I didn't have a good, if I live a tongue tie baby with yeah, that production, it could, then it could potentially have caused that.
2: Totally. And maybe your microbiome is you're one of those women that can handle this pumping situation and it's fine. Mm-hmm. And now for these situations where it's like, gosh, why did this, why does this keep happening? Recurrent mass size. Why does this woman mm-hmm. keep getting it? Mm-hmm. Um, it could be that the pumping is contributing to this and, it's because of this sort of mismatch in the supply and stimulating the milk production, not getting it out. That that And over time, if there's not like a perfect, you know, if there's a little cog in the wheel, then it can kind of end up becoming mm-hmm. something. Another really interesting cause of mastitis, which this is like the Louise Hay, mm-hmm. the energetics, the bioenergetics of disease, mm-hmm. disease. Is this idea and tenet of being unmothered yourself? Oh wow! Boom. That's <laughs> mic drop. Wow. Breast conditions <gasps> often come back to. I know it's chills all oh, over my, my whole gosh. body. Often come back to this idea of overwork, burnout, stressed, overwhelmed, not being no not having your needs met and not being mothered yourself. Wow. And think about what is the top cancer in our country right now? Yeah. Breast cancer. cancer. And it's like, that is so interesting on an energetic Mm -hmm. standpoint of these women trying to do it all.
1: Yeah, and and you do see that often with breast cancer is the woman who's almost like martyrish in her being beams, just right. like always giving and not ever really like receiving,
2: receiving, right? Doing too many things or trying to make it in this doggy dog world or you know whatever. Mm-hmm. But especially in these postpartum women, I think about just the the tragedy that it is of our modern culture of the way that we don't have reverence for that period of time where other cultures won't even let the woman leave the bed for the first forty days. Yeah. And we have women like at the playground on day three with their mm. other kids. I mean, and if you feel good, that's one thing, but I still don't think anyone should be at the playground on three, day three mm-hmm. personally. Like, and even if you feel good, it's like, just take that, take good that to time to rest. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing just happened to your body. Like mm-hmm. relax. Like we really need to relax. If you can, obviously this is, there's so many factors that go into this and we have a whole podcast episode about this as well, about postpartum healing. But you know, the the going and the doing too many things and the not sleeping at night, not eating enough, and not understanding the postpartum nutrition, which is actually more important almost than pregnancy nutrition. Mm -hmm. Not that it's more important, but you need to eat more. Yes. And a lot of people are shocked by that. And then now they don't have time to cook because they have a Mm -hmm. baby and then they're just starving and wasting away. You know? Mm -hmm. So that is there's a lot that goes into this. But so now we understand the risk factors, we understand what mastitis looks like, a little bit of the delineation between the Inflammatory versus the bacterial. Mm -hmm. And now, even if you think you have bacterial mastitis, there are some things you can do for a period of time for like up to 24 hours Mm -hmm. to try to fight it naturally, meaning naturally, like without antibiotics. You can Mm -hmm. use hardcore heavy herbs like echinacea tincture. And it's like, I talk about a lot of this in my book. You need to be really careful again. And I'm not trying to say that people can avoid antibiotics 100%. There is a line where mm-hmm. you need to be careful and you need to go and seek medication from your doctor mm-hmm. or urgent care. I mean, that's, that's where most people end up because it's on it's the urgent. weekends, yeah. you know, it's or urgent. something. Yes. So there is some things that you can do though. So that's, that's kind of like what it is and everything there. So now I want to just really t- quickly touch on the, the main differences in the guidelines and then some of the other treatment things. So we used to traditionally think about healing mastitis plug ducts, engorgement etc with using heat
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it kind of makes sense in a way because you're it feels really good first of all mm-hmm. heat on the breast I and i can already see how this is be yes <laughs> isn't it? because you know physiology, I know physiology yeah. and i can't believe that we kind of didn't really recognize this aspect mm-hmm. of physiology which we're going to touch on so old adage was to go get in the hot shower, nurse your baby, put heat packs on your breast and nurse or pump or do whatever. If you have to pump, or if you're like an exclusive pump or somebody who doesn't nurse their baby, they are only pumping, you know, putting, using heat for all of that stuff. Then there was this tenant about massage, mm-hmm. which was you need to massage all around mm-hmm. your breast before you latch or before you pump. And then when you're latching. Or you're pumping, you're you're like working that clog out, or you're in the shower and you're just pressing the like crack you're trying to
1: push like a, a hot dog
2: through a hose or something. Exactly. Right. Oh, <laughs> <those> <laughs> so, exactly. Oh, that's such a gross visual. I love it. A hot dog through a hot not, dog through a <laughs> straw, maybe more like, like it. toothpaste or something through a yeah. like so gross. But yeah, so you're pressing really hard, which if anybody's ever done this, it hurts so bad. And then on an acutely inflamed breast, it's like Mm torturous I've always said I've said it multiple times I'll say it again I would rather give birth and have mastitis it is hell on earth for me Mm -hmm. it is so bad and I've had it 10 plus times unfortunately six times with my first two with my middle and three with my last my baby I know I'm like this thing it's just got it out for me. And now I'm like, maybe it's because my, my microbiome's all messed up. And I know that about myself too. Mm -hmm. And I have done work on it, but I probably need to continue or do more or something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because this is maybe one of the, you know, predispositions anyways. So, and then the third tenant, is this idea of emptying the breast. Mm. So we would nurse as much as you can, nurse as much as you can on that side. And
1: this is the old old recommendation. So heat, push it out and get it out with nursing. And
2: then like, yeah, pump, or if your baby nurses and it's not enough, then pump afterwards, really get all that milk out. Just Mm. continue to get the milk out. Now, (laughs) what we know now is that this is not the time So what that is doing is it's stimulating more milk production. I was just going to say that probably is And that is not what we want to be doing. Right. I get the idea of like, if there is backed up milk, we Mm -hmm. do want things to flow, Mm -hmm. but- in conjunction with the massage and the heat things cannot flow right so the new way of thinking about this is to rest the rest mm. nice little adage yeah adage isn't the right word little alliteration that's not even the right word rhyme a nice little poem. pull off <laughs> Just a thought. thought. Just a thought. I'm trying to be Just cute. Trying to be cute. I can't be cute. Okay. Rest adage, the breast. I think it's. Really adage? Okay. We'll have to look it up. An age old adage. Somebody's going to write us and be like, we are you not are so stupid. English
1: literature
2: yeah. people. Although I can spell I A-D-A-G-E adage. <laughs> okay. Anyways. So rest the breast, meaning feed physiologically, like feed your baby normally, mm-hmm. but you do not need to push the feeding you do not need to pump afterwards or pump more you don't want to be pumping to where like, in general when you're pumping if you want to avoid an oversupply issue, you are pumping to what you know your baby is kind of needing and then you're stopping. Or if you're having uh, like, you know, you have one complete left down and then you stop. As soon as the milk stops flowing, you kind of stop because when you continue past that, you're, you're stimulating your supply. Mm. This is a great tool. If you want to stimulate your supply Right. in an acutely inflamed breast, we do not want to stimulate supply. Right. We want to calm the storm that's inside the gland of your breast. Mm. Okay. So that's the first thing. Second thing is that we do not massage it in any kind of a hard rough way we don't massage glands we don't massage our thyroid mm-hmm. what would that be doing it would inflame it and probably cause right. a lot of like and inflammation
1: release. in general can cause inflammation which is a good Wait, thing You just said
2: inflammation in general can or cause
1: massage in general oh yes like sometimes if you go get a massage you're almost like more sore the next day right you and know? that can
2: be like, you it can know, helpful. Yes. But not because inflammation is a good thing. We don't want to be suppressing inflammation. Yeah, like but you wouldn't like go
1: massage like an inflamed knee.
2: Exactly. Right. What do we do? We ice things like yeah, that. Although I know there's it. controversy around the ice of stuff. But in this case, it's like the, the type of massaging that we can do is called a lymphatic massage. Mm-hmm. Lymphatic massage is going to help clear out that congestion. Because you have to think about, again, there's all these grape like structures that are making the milk and they're going down to these innumerable convoluted tubes, these little thin ducts that are more like cobwebs, almost like fascia, looks Mm -hmm. like fascia under the microscope. So cool. Okay. And then there's all this fatty breast tissue as well. just fat stuff. And then there's the underlying fat fat stuff. (laughs) And then there's the underlying, you know, chest muscle and whatever. The lymphatics are heavily associated in the breasts. This is one of the problems of bras,
1: Mm -hmm. right?
2: Okay, so breasts—we are not like—it didn't evolve and adapt with bras. And it is interesting that this rate of cancer is in these organs Mm -hmm. that sit on top of our chest that carry mm, so much of our lymphatics. Mm -hmm. Lymphatic tissue is where we have—we move around our um, immune system throughout our body, basically, and get rid of waste, and get rid of waste, and like clean up things, eat up things, and like. Swiffer sweep and like garbage disposal mm-hmm. shredders. <laughs> that's all inside the lymphatics and the lymphatics are passive. They don't have a pumping action the way that our arteries do that pump our blood around. Yeah. So the way that lymphatics depend on that fluid being moved mm-hmm. ever so slightly is from motion and movement yeah. and exercise and bouncing. And that's why you'll see people on, you know, doing those rebounders on trampolines Mm -hmm. or just jumping up and down is a really good lymphatic thing. Dry skin brushing for lymphatics, because the lymphatics are right underneath this layer of your skin. Mm -hmm. So if you can just do something that's going to lift that skin ever so slightly, that's the dry brushing. That's gua sha sha on your face for you know wrinkles and stuff. You're moving the lymphatics because Mm -hmm. all you want to do is lift the skin off that like underlying layer of fat or Mm -hmm. in this case the glandular tissue because you're going to be influencing the lymphatics that way it's not hard it's so light it's like petting a cat it's like putting on lotion Mm -hmm. it's such a soft touch and it feels Mm -hmm. wonderful when you do it it really does feel so good and so this is the only kind of massage that is appropriate for an Mm -hmm. acutely inflamed breast and it's this kind of emotion you're starting at the nipple so the way our lymphatics and our breasts are they kind of they're all over if you look at Google picture of lymphatics in the breast you'll be shocked mm-hmm. and they always like do dip- Christmas tree <laughs> yes someone it is not stingy with Christmas lights exactly it is like a Christmas tree because it's it's little ducks and then like yeah. nodule little mm-hmm. ducks nodule lymph nodes okay mm-hmm. we know everybody knows about lymph nodes, right? So they're connected by these little thin ducts and everything. There's tons of them, and they accumulate in our armpit, and then that's where they drain down into these bigger lymphatic systems. Mm-hmm. So what we want to be doing is starting at the nipple, which seems counterintuitive because the milk comes out the nipple, right? And so you'd want mm-hmm. these, like all this other traditional devices, to go down. But with lymphatics, what we're trying to do is clear the lymphatics, Mm -hmm. clear this congestion. If there's any dilation in those lymphatic vessels, that's meaning it's big and it's just kind of sitting in there and it's like a big sewer, big pipe. And it's like we Mm -hmm. want to kind of make it thin and create space so that these breast milk ducts that have been narrowed, the ductal Mm -hmm. narrowing, the hot dog stuck. The in hot the hose. dog stuck in the hose can can widen and open, and the milk can flow, and everything can go back to normal because yeah. it's such an annoyed mess inside of there. Right. So you're doing this radially, you're moving all around the nipple, and you're going up into your armpit. Okay. And I I highlight some things in the book. There's like some other little parts that you can stimulate um, to help increase that lymphatic flow as well. But that's really the only massage that's appropriate now outside of an acutely flamed breast. Hands-on massage when you're pumping or you're nursing is really helpful with getting the milk out. Mm -hmm. But when you are in a state like this on the Mm -hmm. mass size spectrum, no. Okay. Okay. And then lastly, the ice. So we used to use heat. Now we want to use ice. This is because inflammation is, we want to reduce the inflammation. Mm -hmm. We want to reduce all this congestion so that we can allow that milk to flow. So what do we use for that? We use ice heat can vasodilate and it can bring blood vessels. It brings immune factors. It brings a lot of attention from the body, which can be a good thing in certain cases, not in this case. In this case, we wanna calm everything down. We wanna push the blood flow away. We wanna vasoconstrict all those little blood vessels. We want everything to kind of move away from the ice so that we can make, make room for the ducks to widen. Now, what about alternating hot and cold, is that a no? Yes, yeah, so that's the other thing, is that that's the only appropriate time, in my opinion, to use. Now, this wasn't in the guidelines, this is like a hydrotherapy thing that we right. know as naturopathic know, doctors, yeah. and I do still think is appropriate and very helpful for from my own hands-on experience with it as well. Okay, so the constitutional hydrotherapy is a really great way to use heat and cold, and a lot of people like to use heat because it feels good right but now in this instance because you're also using cold you're using the manipulative action of those temperatures and it's not just calling more inflammation and to cooling. the area. yes yes whereas if you were just using right heat,
1: so it brings the but then it pulls it back away with the
2: cold yes and you always end on cold mm-hmm. so typically what i tell people to do is to get two hot washcloths that are clean You've got, or sorry, two washcloths that are, you know, clean ones. I just have to specify that because they <laughs> are not like dirty rags. You want to <laughs> use something clean. You put clarification. <laughs> you put one in like a bowl of ice water, and then you put, you get one wet, and you can either get it wet under your sink in hot water, or what I like to do is microwave it because it can get much warmer and it holds that heat. You don't want to burn yourself, obviously. Right, right. Like, come on, let's use common sense. But you would do something like three minutes on with hot. And then you switch to the cold rag and you do one minute on cold and then three minutes on hot, one minute on cold. And so each of those is like one round, maybe do it for like 10 rounds, mm-hmm. do that twice a day. I mean, it feels really good for me. It would lower my fever within that, like wow. a 20 minute pe- fe- uh, twenty minute period, maybe by like a degree or two, not significantly, mm-hmm. but still like enough to be more comfortable. Mm-hmm. So helpful with the pain relieving, so helpful with the inflammation. So really mm-hmm. the whole tenants are, the idea is of reducing the inflammation, resting the breast, allowing those, the space for the ducts to widen and like not overstimulating this milk production in these acute periods of mm-hmm. time. Again, it doesn't mean that you can never use heat on a healthy, normal breast. It doesn't mean that you can never use massage on a healthy, healthy, normal breast. It's just in these periods of time where it's acutely inflamed. Mm-hmm. And then in the book, I also talk about recurrent mastitis and prevention tips it's huge. I mean, it's really, really comprehensive simply because of my own experiences. And then now using this new information too, I'm, is, I'm really excited about it because I think that it's going to help a lot of people. It's just such a bummer to experience this. And yeah. I know that it's the end of a lot of people's breastfeeding journey. And mm-hmm. that just is so sad because it's like the worst and mm-hmm. it just doesn't have to be like that. So I'm really hoping that it can help a lot of people and you can check it out on my website, milkmedicine.com. I think that these new guidelines are going to help prevent a lot of like undue problems mm-hmm. sort of that maybe the old advice was just sort of missing and get people to recover a lot faster.
1: Yeah, no, this is amazing. I feel like you're such a wealth of knowledge and I had a clogged duct a few times and yeah. never turned into mastitis. I think mostly because of oh, your help. Thanks. So thank you for going through a torturous 10 mastitis episodes of it. So Other I can learn. don't have to. And I really appreciate that. Her book is amazing. Absolutely. Check no, it out. Course. Milkmedicine.com. There's so many more things that we haven't even talked about, but it's just like yeah. such a comprehensive topic that we, we just can't go into all of it all the time. Right. so definitely check it out. Whether you are a pregnant woman, whether you're going to be breastfeeding or whether you're going through an issue, it's always good to have that information because you never know when it's going to happen.
2: Yes. And that is like, a mean yeah. thing about it is you yeah. can't predict it happening. so yeah. just be prepared
1: It's like having a band-aid
2: you right know, you don't
1: go buy <laughs> the band-aid once you're bleeding hopefully you just have it in your house yes. to use when you need it so get oh, her book regardless thanks of your situation <laughs> always needed <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Yep. And, um, we'll probably do some other episodes on specifics around mastitis and breasts and lymph and all of that. Yeah.
2: There's so many problems that can go on,
1: but there's a lot of solutions that we have as well. Yeah.
2: Thank you. All right. Thank you. Yay.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the healthy as a mother podcast.
0: In order for other women to hear this information, please leave a review with Apple podcasts, subscribe, and send to a friend who could benefit from
1: this content. We're so excited to share more on becoming and being a mother next time. And remember, a healthier future starts now, and it starts with you.
0: Please remember that the ideas and views presented in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for medical care of any kind, including the diagnosis or treatment of any illness or disease. Consult with your provider before integrating this information into your own care plan. Now go have a wonderful day. You've got this.